Welcome to Unstoppable Faith with Dr. Kazumba Charles. This program is designed to inspire you to stand on the Word of God and to help you build unshakable and unstoppable faith in Jesus Christ. Here's your host, Dr. Kazumba. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us here on Unstoppable Faith. It's always an honor and a privilege to bring you Unstoppable Faith. We have had uh, such an incredible response from all of you from around the world. And we don't stop bringing you inspirational men and women of God that can share on this program. On today's program, I am very excited because I have uh, Rebecca uh, Freidlander. She is a movie producer, author, speaker, and creative Christian artist. I want you to hear what this great woman of God has to say. She's recently released a book, uh, The Divine Adventure, Spiritual Practice, actually 12 uh, Spiritual Practice for a Modern Day Disciple. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back with Rebecca. Spiritual practices are these amazing tools that really help us plug into our relationship with God. They strengthen our spiritual goals, they help us build momentum in our life. If you're looking for a faith that's authentic and real, something that's relevant, that you can practically live out in your day-to-day -day life, the 12 practices in this book enable you to do just that. We go deep into scripture, we look back at some of the early church and things that early believers did that are powerful tools that we can pick up and run with today. So if you want to explore the divine adventure that God has called you to, pick up a copy of this book and let's do this together. It's a, it's a blessing to have you on this program, Rebecca, and uh, we're going to just get to it here. I, have, uh, uh, I was expecting your copy of the book, but uh, I know it's coming. I have a digital copy here, The Divine Adventure. Let me ask you this question. What compelled you, first of all, to write this book? Well, I just have seen God show up in so many ways in my life and the lives of those around me and in the lives of people who followed him in scripture and the lives of the disciples, uh, that God is really calling us to an adventure that he scripts and writes for us personally, and we get to be part of his story. And so I wanted to present some keys that could really help people to prepare for that adventure of faith that he calls each one of us to. Um, and these are basic things that are really examples of how God wants to walk with each one of us. They're practical, they're simple, and they're ways we can really build our foundation in Christ. So. And I'm hoping you're going to touch on uh, the 12 practical, uh, uh, the 12 uh, practices for a modern day disciple. So I hope you're going to get to that. But let me go to this question here. Um, uh, what is a modern day disciple? Because you touch on uh, discipleship. What is a modern day disciple? So the word for disciple in the New Testament in the Greek language means a learner. 
And so in the New Testament, it was somebody who decided they wanted to learn from Christ. Those 12 disciples who came around Jesus, they spent time with him. They invested in their lives, wanting to understand who he was and to follow him. And so the beautiful thing is that because Christ died and then resurrected, and now he's alive and through the Holy Spirit, he can speak to each one of us. We too can be modern day disciples, followers of Christ, this incredible man who changed history. And so a disciple is someone who says, I want to learn of you, Jesus. I want to be a learner and I want to follow your ways. And we can do that today, whether it's, you know, in the first century or Jesus was here with skin on and we could touch him and, you know, people could interact with him that way. But how much more can we today? Because the Holy Spirit's here to guide us into all truth and help us to follow Christ. You say that uh, following Christ offers a life of adventure. Uh, please explain that. I think sometimes people think following Jesus is boring. Or if they think, you know, if, if I'm going to follow God, then my life will just be uh, kind of plain and mundane. But really, it's completely the opposite. I, me personally, I know that when I said yes to following Jesus with everything, with my whole life, and I gave him the permission to write my life story, I have been on more thrilling adventures than I could have ever imagined. And so really, uh, just like Jesus did with the first disciples, he said, come follow me. And they stepped into a life of wonder. And there were moments where it was hard and they got stretched and they had to grow, but they also saw God show up in amazing ways. And I think if we say yes to Christ, we sign up for an amazing adventure of faith, just like they did. And, uh, you know, uh, just looking at uh, the 12 uh, spiritual practice to create a deeper intimacy with God that you talk about, I hope, you know, we're going to get to that. Uh, but you also talk about uh, your spiritual walk. And that in that spiritual walk, uh, you talk about uh, forgiving your dad. How did forgiving your dad pay off in your spiritual walk? Mm, that's a great question. Forgiveness is one of the spiritual practices that we talk about. And for me, it's something that I've had to choose to walk out in my life, but it's also had really big payoffs and rewards. Um, I grew up in a very close family, uh, but we were all, the whole family was in a car accident on Christmas day when I was nine years old. My dad suffered a brain injury, and after two weeks in a coma, he uh, came, he was alive, which we were so grateful for, uh, but his, he had a lot of mental disabilities and physical challenges. And so we went from being a really happy uh, family to now he, uh, my father was abusive toward his children and ended up being arrested by the police um, for that. And so, you know, this happened between the ages of nine and 11 when I was a child. So it was hard to understand. You know, I didn't really blame my father because it was a car accident. There was nothing he could do, but it left me with a lot of chaos and confusion. And then later in my life, I had some pastors and mentors walk me through some forgiveness process and help me with some emotional healing. And as I began to become more whole and really receive the healing that Christ desires to give to all of us, uh, I was able to forgive my dad fully and from my heart and receive that healing. 
And I didn't forgive because I wanted anything from my dad or because I expected God to do something for me. I just knew that this was something that scripture said was important. If we're going to follow Jesus, forgiveness is, is, is part of the package. You know, it's a spiritual practice, and there's so many reasons for that. But what I discovered is that in my early 20s, the Lord had me reach out to my dad, and God had been working in his life. And we ended up reconnecting. And my dad had fallen in love with Jesus, and he was soft and tender and kind. And I ended up spending 12 years taking care of him. Uh, the last 12 years of his life. And when he passed away about a year and a half ago, I was with him in his last moments as he was going home to be with Jesus. And um, it was such an unforgettable time. And now I know that he's without pain and he's fully healed and free. I remember when he came to me and he said, Rebecca, I just want to clear the air. I know I've sinned against uh, you and against God, and I just, I want to ask you to forgive me. And because of everything I had been through with the forgiveness process, I was able to say, Dad, I already have forgiven you. And then be there for him and just have this beautiful restoration of our relationship. God didn't have to do that, but he did. And I would have never had that wonderful relationship unless I had practiced the spiritual discipline of forgiveness and the story continues is that just before he passed he left me his home and it's a beautiful log cabin house um, and now we use this house for retreats and ministry and worship and we get to see God show up and carry on the legacy of my father and, and restoration and healing that God does so you just never know when God calls you to forgive or to embrace these spiritual practices, what it does is it puts you in a position of surrender and trust and healing and on the road to wholeness and healing. And God just loves to bless his kids. And so we, we don't do these things to get something from God, but he's just that good and that kind. And forgiveness is one of those practices that really sets us up uh, for success and to walk out the divine adventure he calls us to. Thank you so very much for just sharing something that is uh, personal. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of uh, research and uh, uh, topics as well as a book on uh, uh, forgiveness. Um, so our audience are very familiar with uh, 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 the importance of forgiveness and I like the way you bring the depth of it. Uh, but so thank you uh, uh, for just sharing that personal, personal touch uh, um, uh, with us here. Let me go to this question here. Uh, explain how, how we live our prayer and pray our lives. Mm. Well, one thing I wanted to do in the book was to really go back and discover some things that the early Christians had put into practice. And one thing that I discovered was that uh, during the Dark Ages, uh, the, the early Celtic saints, those were in Ireland and Scotland with Celt um, background. They had some amazing stories of just real passionate faith. And one thing they talked about was their prayer life. It was more than just, just sending up a quick prayer once or twice a day. It was actually a lifestyle of prayer. This idea of communicating with God, 
and him communicating with them. And they would carve out times in their life that they would spend maybe on an island somewhere, you know, and, um, and, and just spending time alone with the Lord. But then they would teach people something I found very interesting. And that's what you mentioned, which is how to live your prayer and pray your life. And it was this idea that God desires to be connected to our whole lives. And he doesn't, it's not faith and life are not, it's never meant to be put in separate boxes. Like our life can be such a deep, intimate communion with the Lord that, that we live our prayers with everything we do can be a prayer to the Lord. When we put our hands to something, if we're doing it as unto the Lord, it's worship. Um, and, and if we learn how to pray our lives, our lives can actually be such a, a reflection of walking with the Lord that it's, it's something that, that we can live out, that we can do every single day. And, and not just, you know, there's times where we step away and we get with the Lord, but also our lifestyle can actually be this place of active worship and active prayer as we walk with the Lord. Oh, that is, that is uh, powerful. I know you've uh, done uh, a lot of... Um... Uh, 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 programs on uh, worship. Maybe next time when we get you back on Unstoppable Faith, we can talk about that. You've done a lot of research uh, uh, on worship. I saw some of uh, your programs. But let's go to this here. Uh, you talk in your book about community. Uh, what is spiritual community and how can we create it in our own lives? That's a great question. One of the spiritual practices we talk about in the book is, is the idea of community. And as we know as Christians, connecting with other believers <clears throat> is so important. But as I really got into this practice and really searched the scriptures, I discovered something really, really interesting. We, we look at the early church in the book of Acts and in the epistles, and they actually don't talk very much about community because it was assumed that it would happen. And as I delved into this more, I realized that the great command, the, the law of love, as it were, that, that Jesus gave to his disciples was this. He said, love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. And so what I saw in the early church is that they were very strategically and practically walking out ways to love each other. And what that looked like was doing community really well. And so it's hard, it's, hard to, uh, it's, it's hard to not have community when you're focused on loving people. And I think that the heart of community goes back to, well, how can we carry out the command of Jesus to love people well? And not just where we're pouring out and giving to other people's lives, but letting them into ours as well and letting them love us. And so for the early church, some things that looked like was that they would meet once a week and they didn't have church buildings. It was all in homes back then. And they would wash each other's feet and they would take communion together and they would care for the poor and they would do all these things together. We see Jesus spending three and a half years living with these 12 disciples. They went everywhere together. We see in the book of Acts, they were together for nine days. The church met together, waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When the disciples were sent out, they went out two by two. They founded churches that were little communities of believers that could support one another and encourage one another. And really, it just all goes back to the command of Jesus to love one another well. 
And I think in this day and age, we need to find creative ways how to do that. That is, a, that is really important to have a community, to have people you can, uh, you know, um, navigate life with because life is uh, full of uh, ups and downs and challenges. But when you have that community, uh, uh, that is uh, really, really good. Now, if you're just joining us here on Unstoppable Faith, uh, I have a great special, special um, uh, guest today, uh, uh, Rebecca. She's an author, movie actor, uh, teacher, preacher, as you can hear. Uh, but there's something special about this uh, woman of God I have on this program. She loves the Lord. And uh, as I was uh, exploring and reading about her, uh, uh, one of her testimony was she abandoned everything and went to the basement to just go and find the Lord and seek the Lord. My goodness. Now, that brings me to this question I have here. So you just get up on one-way ticket, and off you go to Europe in Ireland. Talk to us about that. Yes, I decided I wanted to practice an ancient custom. Uh, that's another spiritual practice, and it's called uh, pilgrimage. It's not something that we hear of a whole lot in our Western culture, but during the Middle Ages, the New Testament, and even the Old Testament, this was a common practice um, was that the church would go on pilgrimages, and it was a way to deepen your relationship with God. And so I was working on a film project for a film called Celtic Pilgrimage. And I just really, the Lord was very clear that he was sending me to Ireland and to Scotland to walk in the steps of the early saints during the Dark Ages to cra uh, capture their stories. These were men and women filled with supernatural, miraculous power of God. They had raised the dead, um, healed the blind, uh, evangelized nations, had incredible supernatural signs and wonders that all happened in the dark ages. And I wanted to understand more. So the Lord sent me to Ireland on a one-way ticket. And I spent six weeks in Ireland and Scotland. And I didn't have my whole journey planned out. It was a big step of faith for me because I just, normally I'm a big planner. And so I like to schedule things. And the Lord just would not allow me to fill up my whole calendar. And he just said, go. And so I uh, took the step and went. And would you know, I just, I saw the Lord show up in miraculous ways and connections. And my entire schedule ended up being full. For the first month, I think I had two days to rest. Because you know what happens when the Holy Spirit starts moving. He just fills your schedule. Yeah. And that's what happened. And sometimes... When, when we use these spiritual practices, it causes us to take a step of faith we wouldn't normally take. And isn't that exactly what the Lord loves? And he loves to honor that. And so the art of pilgrimage, that's another spiritual practice, going to a sacred destination or going to a place with the Lord that stretches you a little bit, you're out of your comfort zone, but it allows God to show up in your life in amazing ways. Uh, that's, that's a fun practice for us to cultivate today. You also talk about uh, the pilgrimage there. Um, what does it mean to set our hearts on uh, pilgrimage? That's a great question. In the Old Testament, actually from the Psalms, that what you mentioned is a direct quote um, from the Psalms where it talks about a blessing for those who set their hearts on pilgrimage. And in the Old Testament, God commanded everyone to take a pilgrimage three times a year. And they would leave their homes and go up to the temple 
and connect with the presence of God and worship. And it was this idea of, of saying, I'm going to set my heart on a journey and I'm going to go meet with God. Because in the Old Testament, his presence was at the temple. In the New Testament, they talk about pilgrimage because the whole church at that point was getting persecuted. And you didn't know if you were going to live to the next day or honestly be thrown to the lions. And so they used this idea of pilgrimage. And they said, our lives are like a pilgrimage. We're just passing through. This world is not my home. My home is in heaven. And enabled them to fix their attention on Christ in that way. And so uh, for today, maybe we're not necessarily going to be thrown to the lions tomorrow, but we can still have this idea of a pilgrimage, of, of saying, this world is not my home, and I'm going to store up treasure in heaven more than on this earth and learn how to serve Christ well here and be stewards of what he's given us. But then also realize that, wow, you know what? It's just, it's just not all about this life and have this idea of, setting our hearts on pilgrimage, knowing that we have a far better and greater home on the other side of this one when we follow Christ. Fasting, fasting, fasting. Now, let's, let's, let's go to fasting here, which you cover also uh, in your book. Um, what does fasting look like in our modern lives? That's a great question. So the spiritual practice of fasting, um, it's something that I, I found so useful in my own personal journey, we look in the scriptures, we see that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, all the followers of God, many of them fasted and prayed. Uh, we see amazing things happen, like Elijah overcame depression through fasting and praying and encountering God. We see Anna in the temple, how she had discernment to know it was the baby Jesus who was brought in, that it was the Messiah when he showed up. And very few other people had that discernment, but she had given her life to fasting and prayer. There's so many examples. And what we discover from the scriptures is that fasting really kind of ups our spiritual discernment. It's kind of like the uh, superhero power, if you will, <laughs> for Christians. Because what we're doing is we're saying to God, God, I'm going to set aside some of these things that I would normally feed my physical body with that would nourish me physically or emotionally. Sometimes people fast things like social media or, or different things they typically turn to. And instead we set our hearts toward Christ. And it's just a practice that's been given to us in scripture that helps us overcome the world and Christ infuses it with his power. And so typically for me, I will fast and pray before I'm making big decisions or before I'm going. I fasted and prayed a lot before going to Ireland. I was like, oh, Jesus, you better show up. God, I need you to show up. I'm going to fast and pray. And so it's this idea of I'm going to lay down my life for you, God. I'm going to crucify my flesh a little bit, and I'm going to press into you and ask you to show up. And fasting doesn't have to be very painful. It's, it doesn't have to be scary. Yeah. Um, and in the book, we break down some of the principles so that people can really figure out, wow, what are some basic healthy ways that I can fast and use the spiritual practice and still stay a healthy human being? I encourage you as you're watching this program to get this copy of the book. I know you will be blessed and I know the Lord is going to inspire you to do incredible things. Uh, the adventure, the, the divine adventure. Now, just as we begin to close the program here, uh, um, 
you've talked about these, uh, you know, uh, uh, spiritual uh, practice. I just want you to touch on uh, the 12 spiritual practice to create deeper intimacy with God. Uh, you, you, obviously, forgiveness goes into that. But I just want you to go a little bit further and give us those nuggets. Absolutely. Well, I've got my copy of the book here, so let me go ahead and read yes. the index for you, and I'll just list them off. Uh, yes. The first one is, uh, of the 12 spiritual practices, the first one is actually just saying yes to God's grace. It's this idea that it's not about me accomplishing something great for God. It's about saying yes to what he's already done for me. And that's bigger than anything that I could ever do for him. And so in that context, we say yes and we open up this treasure chest of amazing, beautiful things that he has to give to us. And then from there, the rest of the practices are just to cultivate our relationship with him and tune into that treasure that we have. So the next one would be the quiet space, making space for prayer, uh, searching the scriptures, unpacking God's love letter, community, a place of belonging, forgiveness, demonstrating grace to others, pilgrimage, the lost art of adventuring with God, obedience, the key to partnering with God, Meekness, forging hidden strength, sacred rest, an invitation to intimacy, giving, make ready the harvest, fasting, fix your attention on Christ, and worship, connect with the master. So those are the 12. Now we're going to end with uh, the last one there, connecting with the master, worship. I noticed you are a woman of worship. You love to worship. You like, you know, you can't talk about intimacy if you don't love worship. But for you, you know, it's uh, uh, as I was uh, watching and some of the teachings you've done, it is just like, uh, oh my goodness, this woman, uh, 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 she's a revivalist. That's what I say to myself. Because uh, where, where there is uh, intimacy with God and worship, something powerful happens. Talk to us about that. And then uh, after that, I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, where they, our, you know, what you, what you really uh, uh, would love our viewers to take away from your book. Sure. Worship is such a powerful tool. It's, as you know, it's, a, it's an act of warfare, of spiritual warfare, and as well as a tool to tap into the ministry that's going on in heaven. Uh, with the angels as they are worshiping the Lord and the prayers of the saints come up like a sweet fragrance before his throne. So worship is a very spiritual activity. It's more than just us speaking words. And we know that Jesus said the Father is looking and seeking those who worship him well in spirit and truth. And so it's obviously something that is very important to the Lord. I think for me, my life was radically uh, wrecked by God when he began to really open my heart to the concept of worship and worshiping him with my whole heart and being. Uh, one of the things that we talked about in, in the practice of worship is, is the word for worship in Greek that um, is used very often in the New Testament actually means to kiss like a dog licking the hand of its master. And it's this idea of connecting with the master and just like you have a, a really good dog who just loves his master and just wants to follow him and be with him and just reach out and, you know, just kind of nuzzle his hand. That's actually the word for worship. And that kind of adoration 
that we can have from disciples who follow the master is is so powerful so yeah worship is is a powerful spiritual practice praise god praise god now after reading your book uh what do you want readers to walk away to walk away with this book has been described by those who have read it already as as receiving a hug from the lord amen so i think it's something that will challenge readers um, that will give them clarity because sometimes uh people have told me sometimes christianity feels so confusing Yes. But the principles in this practice really break things down, some basic things, and make it um, easy to digest. And, uh, and gives us some ways that every chapter has questions where you can ask yourself questions and an activity that you can do to, to build on what you've just learned. And so I, my hope is that it will be informative, um, instructive, but also just so filled with the love of Jesus that um, readers will find themselves just connecting with the Lord in some really beautiful, deep ways. And how can our viewers connect with you? Yes, you can go to my website, which is RebeccaFriedlander.com. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. You can find all of that when you go to my website, RebeccaFriedlander.com. You can see it on the screen there and it has got lots of resources that is going to add uh, significant uh, spiritual value to you. Rebecca, thank you so very much for coming on Unstoppable Faith. I am very pleased to be here. Thank you for having me. And to our viewers, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord watch over you. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Thank you for tuning in to Unstoppable Faith with Dr. Kazumba Charles. If this program has been a blessing to you, write to us at life at kazumbacharles.com and share your testimony.